Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Bewitched. Galatians chapter 3, when you come to verse 1, when I opened it up and began to prepare for this morning's message, this word came out. And the very first thought that came into my mind when I read the word bewitched was the 1964 sitcom Bewitched. I grew up watching this show. It came out in September, on September 17th, 2000, or not, not 2000, but 1964. All about this cute little witch that married a mortal and caused him havoc throughout his life. The word bewitched is an amazing word, and, and we're going to be talking about that this morning from Galatians chapter 3. Paul writes to the Galatians, and he says, oh foolish Galatians. The word foolish there means you, you are not thinking. You're not thinking it through. It's not that they don't have the ability to think. It's that you're, you've chosen not to think this thing through. You are foolishly heading in a wrong direction. And he begins to almost scold them as though they are his children, and, and you know what it's like when you have, you're frustrated with a child, and you've told them to do something, and you've told them over and over and over again, and they've got it clearly right there in front of them, and they just don't seem to grab a hold of it. They're just, they're just not, you, you've told them. Now, okay, when you take your clothes off, where are you supposed to put them? In the hamper. Then why are three days of clothes here on the floor? Why are they here? And they say, what do they say? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you've heard the same thing. Why did, you, why, did, why did you hit your sister on the foot with a hammer? I don't know. They do things because they're not thinking it through. And Paul is, you know, at this point almost frustrated with the fact that he wants them to understand that their salvation is by grace through faith. But not only that, he wants them to understand that you don't have to work and obey the law in order to please God. He loves you for who you are. And you've got to stop trying to live the Christian life by obeying the law. You've got to learn to obey, to be, become the Christian God wants you to be by surrendering to the Spirit of God. They had it all backwards. They were trying to become perfect by going back and examining the law and trying to live the law, and it's a frustrating thing. When you set out in your life and you say, okay, here's commandment one, two, three, four, five, I'm going to start doing these things, and you start, then, and you try to, in your flesh, live the way God wants you to live in the Spirit, it is an impossibility. And God's wanting to point that out to his people. The word bewitched in the Bible means to fascinate or to be led away by wrong words. To be taught that, hey, something is better. 
Life can be better. Things can be better. And we live in a culture that's bewitched. So we're going to talk about being bewitched. Before we do, let's start off by repeating our phrase. We're talking about breaking free. We are messengers sent by God. We are here to deliver the great message that we are free, that we're not bound by the law. So let's read this together. I am a messenger sent by God to deliver the great news of salvation. I have been delivered from the bonds of this world and now enjoy the unconditional love and peace that comes from knowing God as my Father. That's what God wants us to know. He wants us to walk with Him as His children. He's our Father, Jesus our brother. We are enjoying this wonderful life. Satan, however, does not want you to live in that reality. He, along with his demonic army, is doing all he can to deceive you into thinking that you can do it better, that you can do, you can have a better life, that, 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 uh, that you need more. The, Galatians, uh, the Galatian believers were, were receiving that false doctrine as truth, and so he writes to them. It is true that we have salvation by grace through faith, but they had not, though they had received Christ, though they had been saved, they were now trying to live out the Christian life in their own flesh. And Paul said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. I can't live the Christian life in and of myself. And so he writes to them. And he tells them, look, let's read it. Let's read the first five verses together. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth? He says here in that passage, what he's saying is, it's like a billboard in front of you. There's a billboard of the picture of Christ and the fact that he has died for you and he was buried and that he rose from the dead. The gospel has been plainly given to you. Who, who's, who has deceived you into thinking there could be more than what God has already done for you? Who has deceived you into thinking you could do more than what Jesus has already done? Verse 2. This would I learn of you. I, 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 I want you to explain this to me. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law? Did you get saved and receive the Holy Spirit by doing good things, by going to church, by being baptized, by, by helping people, by trying to do good, by obeying the Ten Commandments? Is that how you got saved? That's his question. He says... This is what I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the, by the hearing of faith? And the answer is obvious. It's by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish? Again, he uses that word again. Are you so thoughtless? Are you not thinking? Having been begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Father, I pray that you'll help us as we communicate, as we look at this entire chapter. Help me, God, I need you to communicate to your people this truth. And I pray, Father, that you would just communicate to, your, to us, Father, your children, this truth. And God, just solidify it in our hearts through your Spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. He wants them to understand that they, that they have all they need in Christ. But, number one, there's a problem. There's a problem. 
And the problem is they've been bewitched. Again, the word bewitched means to fascinate, to lead away. Uh, Satan bewitched Eve in the garden. I mean, you can't get it any better than this. You're placed, along with your spouse, in an absolute perfect world. In a, in a world where there is, there is no sin, there's, everything is wonderful, you have, you have open access to God for anything you want, and he has said, anything you want in this garden, it is absolutely yours. You have it all. It doesn't get better than this. I want you to say that with me. It doesn't get better than this. One more time. It doesn't get better than this. In the garden, it couldn't get any better. You couldn't get any better. He said, now there's just one thing. Don't eat the tree in the midst of the garden. Because if you eat the tree in the midst of the garden, you're going to die. He tells them the absolute truth. Don't do it. it and it can't get better than this. Here it is. And so they go to look at the tree. They go and they look at the tree. Now they're perfect. They're, they're, they're innocent. They've never done anything wrong. Nobody's ever done anything wrong. The world is perfect. They go and Satan comes along. Now look, they're created in the image of God. They're created to represent God. The, in, uh, the whole world, they are there to represent God. That's why they are there. <laughs> so they are in the image of God, something Satan wants. And Satan comes to them and says, hey, in this perfect world, it can be better than this. You know, it, it, it can't, it's, uh, you could have a whole lot more than this. Uh, you could become like God. They already were. They were created in the image and likeness of God. Satan wasn't. But Satan said to him, you can have it, you can have it better. Satan stirs the hearts with a spirit of discontent. You, I know everything's going good, but it could be better than this. Uh, it, it's not as good as you think it is. There's something better than this. That attitude is, is, is widespread. They're just not thinking it through. And he says to you, Galatians, Galatians, you can't have it better than Jesus Christ. I want you to understand, we live today in a world that is dominated by this thinking of discontent. We are bewitched. Our world, America, is bewitched. There's got to be a better way to get to heaven than this. I, how many times have you asked somebody, to, to explain to somebody the plan of salvation, and they'll say, it can't be that easy. It can't be that easy. Mario, it's that easy because we're so thick, we couldn't catch it if it wasn't that easy. Say amen to that. That's just the reality of it. It, it, just, it just can't be that easy. To get, to get saved, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to go to hell. I recognize your God. Please give me eternal life. You don't even have to say all that. You just need to have the intent and say, Jesus, save me. Boom, you're saved. Well, that's easy grace. Yes, it's easy because you couldn't do it if it was hard. Say amen to that. That's the reality of it. Don't let anybody ever come to you and say, well, you believe in easy grace. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. That's the only way in the world that I could have gotten saved because I know I'm a sinner and I do the wrong thing and I keep doing the wrong thing. Look, God wants us to understand that it doesn't get better than what it is. Again, our world is filled with this, with this whole concept. There's got to be more to life than just doing what the Bible says. 
There's, there's, there's got to be more to creation than six days. Six, that's just, I mean, come on, how are you going to believe that all of this was created in six days out of nothing? There's got to be more to it. Uh, practically in our lives, Satan will come to you and say, uh, marriage has got to be better than this. He is, there's got to be somebody better than the jerk you're married to. There's got to be somebody better than this woman. Marriage has got to be better than this. Life has got to be more than this. Uh, you could, there's more, life is better than this job. That life is better than this place. There's got to be something more in life. You need to understand that's the definition of bewitched. We, we can be bewitched. We, uh, Satan comes along and says, you, don't, you, you are better than this. There's got to be something. You're missing out on something. You're, you're missing out on what life is all about. And that's why families fall apart. That's why parents desert their kids. That's why children leave their homes. That's because it's this whole spirit of discontent, which is bewitching. The idea is there's something fascinating out here that would be much better and what Satan was doing with the Galatians was saying, look, there's something better than this salvation by grace through faith alone. They had forgotten how they got saved. And so they said, okay, now we're going to make this salvation better by doing good things and obeying the law, and that will make us better Christians than these other people. And God wants you to understand you are never better than anyone else because you, you were saved the same way they were, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, whether they were religious and you weren't, whether they lived a horrible life and, 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 and you lived a really good life or you lived a really horrible life and they lived a really good life. You were saved the same way. It's all the same. And that's his emphasis in these first three verses, or first five verses. He says, in verse 2, again, this, what I, what I learn of you, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by doing what the law says? Is that how you got saved? I was talking to a Mormon a friend, I would say, of mine. Uh, we've, we're not like deep friends. We were an acquaintance. I haven't seen him for years. So, uh, but I'm sitting at his desk, and he said, he said, you know, he said, we believe so much the same. We believe so much the same. He said, we believe, you believe in salvation by grace, don't you? I said, yes. He said, we believe in salvation by grace. I said, but there's some major differences. I said, we believe in total grace, that there's absolutely nothing we can do to add to our salvation. He said, I know, you believe that Jesus did it all. What we believe is that Jesus came uh, to this earth and it's like he left heaven, came all this distance to earth, and now the only thing he wants us to do is climb up this little mountain to get to where he is. No! Let me say that again so that you understand. No, absolutely not. That's adding something to what Jesus did. And if Jesus died, you can't add anything to it. And that's why he says in verse 3, he says in verse 3, are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect in the flesh? That's why he says in verse 1, Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. You've seen what he did. Do you realize that in the garden, Jesus said, Father, is there any other way that this could happen? Is there any other way they can get to heaven? Is there any, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. 
And the father said, no. This is the way it has to be. Sin has to be paid for by death. And you're the only one that can die for every person's sin on the planet, past, present, and future, all at the same time. There is no other way, son. If we want to bring other sons to glory, if we want to see other children in this family, then you must die. And you must suffer the agonizing death, being separated from me on the cross. That's the only way. So he asked the question, you got saved not by doing your good works. What makes you think that you can, be, you can live the spiritual life now in your flesh? What makes you think you got saved up here or, or you got saved by Christ dying for you? Now you're going to go and you're going to live by the law in order to, to live the Christian life that Jesus died to give you? Are you so foolish, he says, having begun in the Spirit, that are you now made perfect in the flesh? Then he says this, interesting. He says, have we suffered so many things in vain if it be yet in vain. What he's saying is this. When I came to, back to Galatia uh, during those 14 years we talked about last week and I planted churches and I started churches, you know what happened. I got persecuted. I got beat up. We were driven out of town. You receiving Jesus Christ by grace through faith and you believing that the only way to get saved was through the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. You, you, we were persecuted because of that. Did we suffer that in vain? Did we go through all of that in vain and now you're going to go back to the works of the law? He says in verse 5, He therefore, talking about God, the He is God, He therefore that ministered to you the Spirit. When God gave you the Spirit at the moment you got saved and worked miracles among you, you saw Him do miraculous things in your midst, Doth he, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did, did he give you, here's, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that when, when you got saved, here you were, uh, and we've seen this before, you were a body and a soul, but your spirit was dead. Then he, God, worked in you you said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, please save me. And God the Father, in answer to the request of Jesus, the Son of God, sent the Holy Spirit of God to come and live inside of you. Did he do that because you worked? He came, gave you his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit made your dead spirit come to life, and now you're alive. Did he do that because you said, okay, I'm going to start being good? I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to obey the Ten Commandments. And then you started doing good things. You didn't just say it. You started doing good things. You started going to church. You started reading your Bible. Uh, you started helping people. Uh, you started obeying for the first time in your life. You started doing those things. And then when you did those things, then is that when he gave you his spirit? And the answer is obviously no. You didn't do any of those things for him to give you spiritual life. You said, I'm a sinner and I can't do anything. God, I deserve to go to hell. You died for me and I, I can't work my way to heaven. I can't please you. And boom, he sent his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit made you alive. He didn't do it through the works of the law. You didn't get saved by doing good things. 
Your good things have nothing to do with your father-son, daughter-father relationship with him. He said you didn't get it that way. You didn't get it through the works of the law. You got saved by receiving what Jesus did for you. That's how you got saved. Now, he then goes from that. So this is the problem. You're, you're, You're bewitched. And he says, I want you to understand that you were saved by promise. And starting in verse 6, he starts talking about the promise. Would you go to the next screen? The promise. Now, this is so, so important. We're going to look at this just verse by verse by verse. I don't want you to follow along with me. He says, even as Abraham. Now, that word even is very, very important. Because he's saying, look, you got saved even as Abraham got saved. You got saved the same way Abraham got saved. You got saved exactly like Abraham. But wait a minute. Abraham, wasn't he under the law? No, he was 430 years before the law. So he says, look, you got saved by faith, by the hearing of faith, just like or even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He got saved by believing the promise. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You were saved by grace through faith, just like Abraham was saved by faith in the promise that was made to him. And what was the promise? 3,936 years ago, Abram stood in the land of Canaan. He had received a promise that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. That was seven years prior to this. But in in, in Genesis chapter 15, he's sort of questioning what's going to happen. So, he comes before God, and, he's, and, and God has a, a conversation with him. And it's recorded in Genesis chapter 15. Paul refers to it in, in Galatians chapter 3. It's important we understand what the promise was. The Bible says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision. Now, seven years have passed since God promised him, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. And Abraham leaves Ur of Chaldees and goes to the land of Canaan. He's in the land of Canaan now, and God comes to him in a dream and speaks to him. Can you imagine? Now, he was 75 years old. He doesn't have a kid. And yet God's promised him that he's going to be the father of many nations. There's gonna be a, there's gonna be, uh, he's going to be a great father. The problem is I'm 82, and I'm not a father yet. You understand? Anybody that's really thinking is going to say, what, well, yeah, how's that going to work? You know, 82 years old, things don't work like they used to. You need to understand that. And so he says, the Bible says after these things, seven years goes by, he's 82 years old, Abraham has a vision, and God says, fear not, Abraham. I am thy shield. I'm your protector. And thy exceeding great reward... The rewards I promised you, they're coming. I'm your reward. And Abram said, Lord, God, 
What wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? What are you going to do? I'm 82. I don't have a kid. He says, the steward of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. He said, I've got this servant. And the custom at that time was very simple. If you had no children, the hired, the, 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 the hired servant in your home, the one that was the most trusted, he became your adopted son, and you could pass on your inheritance to him. So he asked the question. He said, I go childless. The steward of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. He's the one that I trust. Is he the one through him? Is that what you're talking about? And Abraham said, Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast not has given no seed. And lo, one born in mine house is my heir. He's my heir. Is that what you're talking about? Then listen to what happens. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be thine heir. No, it's not Eleazar. It's not going to be an adopted kid. But he shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heirs. You're going to. You're 82 years old. You're going to have a kid. All right. And he brought him forth abroad. And he said, look towards the heavens and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, now listen to this, his word, so shall thy seed be. Now Paul's going to make much of that last statement. He's going to say, he didn't say seeds, he said seed. He said from this seed that's going to come from you, the seed that's going to come from you, is there's going to be a multiplicity of children and they're going to be like the stars of of the heavens. Listen to me, 82-year-old 82, 82 man. I'm going to use you, and you're, you're, there's going to be one seed that's going to come from you. And that seed is going to multiply so that there's going to be, they're going to be like the stars of heaven. Well, then, in Galatians, Paul quotes the next verse that's found in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. And that is, and he believed in the Lord, and he, that is God, counted it to him for righteousness. He believed him. Galatians uh, uh, 3 and verse 6 says, even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Why did God declare Abraham righteous? Not because he had done a bunch of things and he had left Ur of Chaldees and he'd gone to the land of Canaan and he'd done. No. Abraham at 82 years old said, okay, if you're saying that a seed is going to come from this body that's going to cause a population explosion that is going to be like the stars of heaven, then God, if you say it, I believe in that seed. He put faith in that seed. And God said he accounted it for righteousness. That is, he declared him righteous. He is now righteous in the sight of God. He, was, he is saved. Paul says, even as Abraham, you got saved exactly like he did. He had faith in the promise of a seed, and you have faith in the seed that came. That is the only way that anybody gets saved. 
We, we become children, the Bible says, of Abraham. In fact, let's read down to verse 14 and look what happens. Even as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, that's you and me, the same are the children of Abraham. Whoa! When I got saved, by believing in the seed that would come, I became a child of Abraham. So now I am, uh, I have the Abrahamic promise that was given to him, it's now mine. And, and the scriptures, seeing that God would justify the heathen, that word heathen is translated three different ways in the New Testament. It's the word heathen, it's translated. It's the word Gentile, and it's, word, it's translated the word nations. It all means the same thing. And what he's talking about, therefore, Paul, when he's talking about heathens, he's talking about you, you heathen. Did your mother ever call you a heathen? Well, she was right. You say, what's a heathen? A heathen is anyone that's not a, a Jew. So, let's say this together. I am a heathen. Let's say that. I am a heathen. It's true. Let's say it one more time. I am a heathen. The Bible says we're heathens. And so the Bible says, look, the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathens, that's you and me, through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in these shall all the nations be blessed. All the heathens, that word nations is the same as the word heathens. All the nations, all the heathens, all the Gentiles are going to be blessed through this one seed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. We were blessed. When Abraham, God blessed him, God blessed us. It wasn't anything that Abraham did. He just simply believed. When the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, show us the works that we must do, he said, look, the work of God is to believe in him whom he hath sent. It's believing in that seed. For as many as it were under the works of the law are under the curse of the law. And he begins to talk then about the curse. He says, well, you need to understand that the law came... And if people are depending upon the law in order to get them to heaven, they're under the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? He says, as many as, as were, uh, are, are of the works of the law, those who are trusting the law to get them to heaven, are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So, in order to get to heaven by the law, I have to do everything the law says. And that's not just the Ten Commandments, that's the hundreds of other commandments that are given in the Levitical law and in the book of Numbers. So first you have to know those laws, then you have to obey every single one of them, and if you break one of them, then you're cursed because you haven't kept them all. How many of you in here have never told a lie? Liar? Somebody raised their hand. So, so you just broke the law. So you can't keep the law. That the whole idea is very simple. You cannot keep the law. How many of you, Paul said, I was doing okay until I got to that one that said, thou shalt not covet. How many of you have ever seen somebody driving the car that you should have? 
thou shalt not covet, God's word says. And yet, so he's saying, look, here's the curse. He says, he says uh, you've got you've to do everything that's, that's in, that, in the law. Look at verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the, spirit, in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk tells us, look, even under the prophets, the prophets said, listen, the only way you're going to be right with God is by faith, believing that the seed was going to come. That's it. The law, and the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. The only way you're going to get there by keeping the law is doing all of them, living by them. It's not of faith. Somebody says, well, we have a different faith uh, expression of faith. We believe you have to keep the law. That's not of faith. Being good in order to get to heaven or be right with God is not of faith. There's only one, there's only one thing that's of faith, and that's believing in the seed. That's Christianity, that he would come. Now look at, here's what the Bible says in verse 13. Paul says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. So what did Jesus do? Jesus came down knowing that the law had come and cursed us. Jesus came and he became a curse. He allowed them to hang him on a tree. Then all of your sin and all of my sin from the time I was born in 1955 until the time that I die in 2055 You mock me. Okay, so <laughs> he took all of my sin. He packed all of the things. This is 2,000 years before I'm born. He took all of my sin and he put them on Jesus, on that tree. And Jesus took the curse for me. He took it all upon himself. And we need to understand that. He did that for you. He did that for me, and that was the only way you could get to heaven. Jesus was the seed and is the seed that was promised to Abraham. He came as the seed to took, take all of our sin upon himself and to die in our place and pay for our sin. Three days later, he rose from the dead, was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses. But when he did that, he set us free from the curse of the law. Again, let's look at that. Christ hath redeemed us. He went to the law and bought us back from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For uh, a curse for us, in, as it is written, curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. He took that curse. He paid for our sins. Why? Why did he do that? Listen. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So it all goes back to this thing of faith. He said, listen, Jesus did it all, paid it all, so that we could come to him and receive the promise that was made to Abraham 430 years before the law. 
I gave this promise to Abraham and and when we receive Jesus Christ, we, re- we put our faith in that promise and we are saved. We are redeemed. Now, that's what happened to us when we got saved. And he wants us to understand that. Now, from this point on, he begins to show us the process. How all of this happened. How did this happen? The time sequence, if you would, about how you and I got saved. He shows us the process. So let's look at the process. It starts with a man named Abraham. Uh, and go ahead and put Abraham up there. The Abraham, it says, now, now, now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. So the promise was made to Abraham and to his seed. He saith not to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So the promise is made to Abraham and to one seed. And that promise was Christ. And this I say, that the covenant, uh, listen to what he says, the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of non-effect. He made a a covenant with Abraham He goes on to say that if a man makes a covenant, if a man makes a covenant with another man, they make that covenant, it's it's unbreakable. Well, this is God that made this covenant with Abraham. He's the one that made the covenant. And he made this covenant 430 years before Moses comes on the scene. Now, go to the next picture. Moses comes along with the law 430 years later. That has nothing to do with a promise that was made 430 years before. And so what happens 430 years after Abraham cannot disannul, cannot make void the promise that God made, the covenant that God made with Abraham. So he says, it doesn't disannul it. For if the inheritance be of the law, it's no more of the promise. If I go back to the law, then I've cut off 430 years of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. God said, here's the promise. You're you're going to be saved because you believed in the seed. And he makes the promise to the seed. The seed, hey, uh, from you, multitudes of people are going to come, and it's going to be like the stars of heaven. So then the law comes along. The law can't take away the promise that was made 430 years before. So then the question is, then why do we have the law? Well, the law is a good thing because when we read the law, we can, we can find out from the law what God thinks is right and what God thinks is wrong. We can find out the mind of God. We can, we can learn a lot about God in the law. But what in the world, why did God give us this law? Here's the answer. Look at verse 19. Wherefore, then serveth the law? Ask the question. Why do we have the law then? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained in angels 
uh, or by angels into the hand of mediators. Now, here's the deal. Without the law, we don't know what is right and what is wrong. Without the law, we don't know what is sin and what is not sin. And so I can go around deceiving myself and saying, I've not done anything wrong. I've never done anything wrong. Until somebody sits down and says, okay, until I say to my kids, listen, you, you do not hit your, your brother. That's wrong. Uh, you, cannot, uh, you cannot steal your brother's uh, food. Uh, you, cannot, uh, you cannot beat up on your sister. Until somebody says, here's the law, boom, 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 boom. They can say, I didn't know. I don't, I don't know. Well, why did you do that? I don't know. Well, I, did you, I didn't know it was wrong. You, nobody told me. How many times have your kids said, huh? I didn't know. You didn't tell me. You didn't tell me. I said that with my grandson the other day. I said, I said, you opened that bottle of water in the back seat and got all over everything, and I told you not to. He said, no. Grandpa, you didn't tell me. I thought that little sneak knew he wasn't supposed to do it without me telling him. But the fact of the matter is the law had not been laid down. So he could legitimately say, I didn't, I didn't know. You didn't tell me I couldn't do it that time. You know what that's like, huh? Right? So, the, the law comes along and it, it, it does this. What the law does is it says, look, you may not think you're doing anything wrong, but let me, let me point out, yeah, you messed up here, you messed up here, you messed up here, you messed up here, you messed up here. And it shows us the wrong. So God said, the reason we added the law was so that you would understand, oh yeah, you need the seed. See, understand? The law was given to show you, you need the seed. You need the promise. Because you'd gotten to a point where you didn't think you needed the promise. Now he says, it was handed down from generation to generation by mediators. There was Moses was given, and then the law was, then after he was gone, there were priests and there were prophets, and they kept giving us the law. And they kept giving us the law, and it was handed down from generation to generation, again, to point us to the seed until there was one who came that didn't need to mediate between God and man because he was the God-man. So it says in the next verse, verse 20, now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Eventually, there was no need for a mediator because God became the one. He became the seed. So he came. Is the law then against the promise of God? The next question is, is is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Absolutely not, he says. No, God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been of the law. That's what Jesus prayed in the garden. Is there any other way? And the Father said, no. There's only one way. The seed. That's the only way. The seed must die. The promise must be fulfilled. But the Scripture hath concluded. Oh, I'm sorry, is the, is the law again then against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, fairly righteousness would have been of the law. And that would have been, that, that would have been nice, but it, it was impossible. But the Scripture hath concluded all are under sin doesn't matter whether you're the Jew or you're the heathen. We're all under sin. That the promise of faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So the promise would come. Go to the next picture. 
And the promise would go to a cross, and the cross would and on the cross Christ would die. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, here's what the law did. God gave us the promise through Abraham and a promise to the seed. The law then came, and the law pointed us to Christ. In verse 24, wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The promise was made. The law came and said, look, you're not getting there by keep being good because you're not good. But here's the deal. Christ is coming. And when Christ came, the promise, go to the next thing, was fulfilled. And now we've gone full circle. We have the promise. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But after that faith has come, we no longer are under a schoolmaster. We don't need a schoolmaster to bring us, to teach us our need of a Savior. We now have the promise. And that's what Paul wants the Galatians to understand. And that's what God wants you to understand. You are the promised. You, are, you, 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 are, you, have, you have benefited from the promised seed and you are now children of God. Which brings us to the next point and that is our new position in Christ. Now we have a new position. We're no longer students being brought to a point where we need to get, uh, become, uh, have an understanding of the seed, we've come to that point where we've received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And once we receive Christ as our Savior, then our new position is this. We become children of God. Verse 26, the Bible says, For ye are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. What happened? When you received Christ as your Savior, you, I don't particularly like the picture of Jesus. Uh, I don't think he looks like that, but this picture is so wonderful because it shows who you are. You are in Christ, and you are a child of God, just like Jesus is, a child, uh, is, a, is the Son of God. He made you a child through his death. And so the stars that we looked at a little while ago, you're one of those stars. You're out there. You're innumerable. You are, you are part of what Christ did. Look what his description is in verse 26. We are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. As many of you as have been baptized, and that's not talking about water baptism, it's talking about being immersed into Christ. As many of you as were immersed or baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is who you are. I love this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. It's no longer the Jews and the heathen, the Hebrews and the Gentiles. It's no longer that. It's neither bond nor free, Neither male nor female, we are all one in Christ. Say amen to that. That's who you are. Satan can't come in to the family and rip you out of the family any more than I can reach into this screen. 
You cannot lose it because you did nothing to get it. You are His, so enjoy the family of God. Say amen to that. That's who you are. And you can't be taken away. And it's a wonderful, wonderful truth. He says we're immersed in Christ. We're all equal. No Jews, no Greeks, no bond, no free, no male, no female. We're just one. And then he says this in verse 29. And if we be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. What does that make us? That makes us one with Christ. We are a multitude, yet we are one. We are Abraham's seed because we are in him. And the only way to get rid of what we have is to kill Jesus. And you can't do that because he's God. We have eternal life in Christ. But that's not all. He wants you to understand. You can't just now, you can't say, okay, don't, don't be like, like the um, Galatians who said, okay, yeah, we got saved that way. But now in order to really enjoy the Christian life, we've got to go back and obey the law. No. What will happen is if you begin to enjoy Jesus and love Jesus, now look, if you do that, then what's going to happen as you're enjoying Jesus, the life of Christ will shine out of you and you will by nature keep the law and you'll reflect the law. It's not something you have to work at. You'll just be serving Jesus. And because of that, you'll have the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the goodness, and faith that comes through the Holy Spirit controlling your life. It's not a matter of the law, Paul says. It's a matter of enjoying the Lord. Let's enjoy what God has given to us. We're saved by grace through faith. We're saved the same way Abraham was. Break free of the law. Enjoy the grace that God's given you. Father, help us to take the truth that's been presented here. I pray, Father, that you would take your truth and just impress our hearts with this. And Father, help us to walk in the freedom of your Holy Spirit, reflecting you to all those we come in contact with. And Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. If there's somebody that's lost right now, I pray, Father, that you would save them. And I ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.